listening to Rumination Thursday, June the 6th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Rumination Thursday, we talk about various subjects, and with us is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. How are you doing, Wes? I'm doing great. How are you, Tom? Well, I'll tell you in a half hour. <laughs> you know what else today is, don't you? D-Day. D-Day. Yes. Quite, a, quite an amazing feat. Yes, it's. but a lot of people aren't thinking about that. They're thinking instead about uh, the game tonight here in St. Louis. The Blues. What's going on tonight? Hockey. Have you ever heard of hockey? I know in Springfield you never get ice, so. Oh, yes. Boy, I tell you. So um, I'll be busy with Uber tonight, going around for sure. What I do is about 5 o'clock I go about as far west as I want to go because then if I pick anybody up going to the game, it's a nice long ride. <laughs> and we get a chance to talk to people. It's been interesting. Uh, during the last week, I was talking to one person uh, who works at St. John's Ellisville in doing uh, children's stuff before school and after school. Hmm. And then I was talking to a nurse who goes to Messiah in St. Charles. She's been there like 14 years. So hopefully they're listening. Well, probably not the one at St. John's Ellisville because she's busy right now with the kids. And uh, we'll see what happens here. But when we talked, I know we got Pentecost coming up. And if you've been listening to KFUO all this week, they've had numerous programs talking about the significance of Pentecost. But I yet have to hear about what Pentecost was for the Jews at the time of Jesus. It was obviously some kind of a festival, a celebration. And so I think we need to talk about that and then tie in what we've learned about that and the Pentecost we're celebrating. So can you help us with that? I agree with you. First of all, Pentecost is, Penta is 50, which is 50 days after the Passover or Easter. And uh, it really comes out of the Old Testament, right around Deuteronomy 20, 26, which talks about the farmers gathering uh, their food or their grain and putting it in a basket. Now, uh, when you read Deuteronomy 26, it talks that they take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. In other words, they were to take the best uh, that they could find of the wheat, the barley, whatever, the various uh, dates, olives, whatever it may be that they might have for for a harvest. And uh, they were led by a flute player outside the city. And then as they, they came into the city, city officials would join in. In the Old Testament, the king was to, to take a basket of, of food, too, with him. And they would go to the temple. And there they would present it in the temple. And uh, some of the singing that went on as they approached the temple was from Psalms 120 to Psalms 136. I think those were the ones Jesus also and his disciples sang on the way to Gethsemane. Mm. 
the halal and such. Okay. Yes. So, so they had a liturgy, a procession, and so on as they went to the temple. Now, here's where it gets a little bit uh, different. As they come into the temple, they were to, the farmer was to recite Deuteronomy 26 3, which you should go to the priest who was in the office at that time and say to him, I declare this day, the Lord my God, that I enter the land which the Lord has sworn to our fathers to give us. And he presents the, the basket of food. And that's Deuteronomy 26, verse 3. And right. it even says there, Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Now, I think what's important here is that they were to say this in Hebrew. Yes, uh, yeah. That's where I, I kind of think it kind of muddies the water, so to speak. Well, what happens is you have many, many people coming from all kinds of lands. Remember, uh, even at the uh, Pentecost celebration, they were from Air, uh, Arabic countries, Crete, all over the place, and they didn't know Hebrew. And so the priests would begin to what? Say 26.3 in Hebrew, and they were to copy what he said. Right. Yeah, you're a little ahead of the game. In Old Testament time, after the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah found that there, there were mixed languages going on, and he, he uh, kind of forbid, in a sense, that uh, they speak anything but Hebrew at the temple. Yes. So for 436 years, they, they were doing that in Hebrew. And you're right, by the time... Uh, of Christ, uh, you had the very many, many mixed languages, and the, the priests, in in order to keep it Hebrew, would speak Hebrew, and then they would respond in in kind. And there came a time when the priests would only say a part of it, and then those who could not speak Hebrew only could say that part, and many of them stopped coming to the priests because they were embarrassed that they right. didn't know the Hebrew. Right. And so what it's, they did, they changed it so that the priests would lead all the people in the recitation, whether or not they knew Hebrew. So, hence on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples came, is precisely as you said, it was all in Hebrew. And uh, Yeah, I want to make one other point. On Wednesday, I'm doing a Bible study, and it's a two-part on First Corinthians 14, speaking in tongues, and I'm making the point that every time it talks about speaking in tongues, it's talking about known foreign languages. But there's a phrase there that talks about uh, the language of the angels. And I did some study on that, and in Jesus' day, Judaism considered that the language of the angels was Hebrew. Oh, really? Yes. And so that's what they meant, why they wanted that said. Uh, re remember some early Lutherans, what language did they think God spoke? German. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, what he spoke obviously was understood by Moses and others. And so uh, there, there's no doubt he spoke the languages of, of the people. Well, we'll go on a little bit. Anything more on the actual... Well, what was the purpose of uh, 
what what food or what was in the baskets that they were bringing? Well, in Deuteronomy 26, it says produce of the ground, anything that they had grown out of the ground. Typically, uh, it would have been a weed harvest that, that probably would have been going on. I see. But it could be any kind of produce, the best of the of the ground that they had. Was it kind of first fruits? First fruits. That's, that's exactly what the uh, first part of 26 talks about, that they bring the first of the produce, the, the best that they, they could figure that their produce would provided now that's an act of faith because i know every time we grew uh we had a backyard and we try and do tomatoes and corn and anytime one came up we took it right away and ate it because we had so many squirrels there we didn't think we were going to get any more (laughs) (laughs) and so these people were giving the very first fruits of the harvest in faith that god would continue to provide them with a necessary harvest. It's kind of like if you took a loaf of bread. Yeah. Instead, and you gave a tenth of it to to the Lord. As one layman, as I presented it as a stewardship sermon, one layman said, I like to think that I go to the middle of the loaf, where it's the the best Mm -hmm. of the loaf, and give that 10% to the Lord, which is the best of the loaf, instead of the, the, the... the end, which is generally the heel and a, and a couple small pieces. Well, how would you translate that into an offering to the church? Because I think it doesn't matter what end of money I have, it's all going to be a gift to God. Well, where, where's the middle of money? <laughs> yeah, where's the middle of money? But it really is the first fruits of of what you what you have made. And typically we, we call it money, but... Uh, you, you you give a portion back to the, to the Lord, and um, generally it's the first of the week, or some do it monthly. It depends on how they how they do it, but at any rate, they commit it to the Lord. So we've really <laughs> looked at a pretty good idea of how the Jews celebrated this festival, and like you said, it was fifty days after the Passover. That's when Jesus, of course, was in the grave and he rose from the dead. So we've got the Easter resurrection. Then 40 days after that comes the ascension. And 10 days after that is Pentecost, which we're celebrating this Sunday. Now, having done the work you've done, what are the tie-ins to our Pentecost in comparison to what the Jews had done? Well, one of the tie-ins is is the fact that they spoke in 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 various languages, knowing that uh, the day was to be spent talking in Hebrew. It talked about it being in in many languages of the people from the various communities that they came from, and uh, it sounds like uh, you know Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, and uh, Libya and Egypt and Cyrene, just to mention a few, that they had they must have had various dialects of of the language. Oh my, yes. Yeah, here's a question I've never really been able to answer. I don't know when the disciples gave were given the gift of speaking in those different tongues, which they had never heard before, like Arabic. Were they able to understand what they were saying? 
I would think so. Yeah, I imagine they would have. So that was a second gift, not only the ability to speak in the language. I had given an example of a missionary in uh, South America who was, the natives were going to put him to death and he was praying, and all of a sudden he started speaking in a language he was not familiar with, and the natives stopped from killing him because he was speaking their language. But he did not know what he was saying. He was just saying the words. Hmm. Never heard that. Yeah. The, the, the missionaries that I know that went into various lands would speak the language of the native tongue and understood yes. what they have. In fact, we've got what's called Lutheran Bible translators that, that try and translate the scriptures into the language of the local. Well said. Area. Yeah, in fact, remember the early Germans when we were dealing with the Indians, we attempted to teach them German and then talked about the catechism in German. Today now, you are absolutely correct. I was in Novosibirsk, and there was a new missionary there, and his first few months was just learning Russian. Uh, now, uh, as part of that, teaching the Indians, while they taught them in German, they also taught them in their native language, uh, especially up there in Michigan. And they had translated some of the hymns into into the native language of the Indians. So it was a, it was a both and sort of thing that went on. So we could say that Pentecost was really the reverse of another event that took place in the Old Testament. The reverse, yes. Of what? Uh, from from a single language to a multi language. Right, the Tower of Babel. Ah, yes. Never put that together. Now, you know, it was kind of interesting to me. I thought that the Tower of Babel was when God actually started providing different languages. Yeah. But that's not correct. Uh, prior to the Tower of Babel, uh, there were different languages, like at the time of uh, uh, other people earlier than the Tower of Babel. And so I was trying to figure out, well, how come there was just one language then by the time we got to the Tower of Babel? And the scholar who was writing about this said, because at that time, everybody had been coming from the family of Noah, and they were speaking one language. Okay. So after the destruction of the world by the flood, those different languages, of course, weren't around anymore. And then the Tower of Babel brought back various languages so they wouldn't be prideful in building the tower to God. That I had not realized before. Never heard that. And so now what we have is Pentecost doing the reverse, that mm. God uh, kind of as... Uh, uh, it, he abandons the language barrier. And that was a real barrier. For example, the Jews... They disliked the Gentiles because they spoke a different language, first of all, mm -hmm. and also because they weren't part of the people of God, they thought, until, of course, even in the Old Testament, why did Jonah run away is because he didn't want to go and talk to the Gentiles in Nineveh. And I think that's uh, a point worth taking, that it, language should never be a barrier or culture should never be a barrier for us reaching out with the good news 
Yes. Now, some churches here, they take a look at this Pentecost experience, and they say that every Christian, therefore, should be able to speak in tongues. And, of course, they mean angelic language that nobody can understand unless there's an interpreter around there. But that's not at all the main point of Pentecost. As you emphasize, it really emphasizes the mission of carrying the gospel to every people, regardless of language or race. Right. What you're talking about is this babbling that goes on. And it really arose out of the early 1800s. It never arose out of Acts chapter 2, of, w- of which you, you just spoke about in, in a known tongue. Yeah, the Pentecostal movement kind of began in 1901, although there were some groups prior to that that were pushing uh, the importance of language. I, I, I mentioned, uh, I think on Monday, where I had attended a Pentecostal church just to see how they worshipped, and they were really trying to force a woman who believed in Jesus but they were trying to force her to speak in tongues because for them, until you spoke in tongues, you can never be sure you were saved. I, on, on my mother's side, I had an aunt and an uncle that uh, wanted to go see a picture show or go to a Pentecostal meeting, and they decided to go to the Pentecostal meeting, and they started rolling around and talking in tongues, and and my uncle was leaned over in a loud voice said to, to my aunt, my great aunt, uh-huh. You know, isn't this better than the picture show? And with that, they all stopped and went back and sat in the chairs and service continued. I know. Yeah, I tell you, um, occasionally, I don't know if I'll do that this Sunday, I start off the sermon speaking in the Greek, Hmm. which nobody can understand. (laughs) Um, Now, every now and then you'll have somebody in the congregation who's learned it or knows a little bit about it. But that would be a good example of what Paul is saying, that if you speak in a tongue and nobody is understanding what you're saying, you're only speaking to yourself. Right. I think it's better that they speak in a known language. Like my grandfather that was a missionary down in Brazil spoke yes. both German and Portuguese, which was the language of the Brazilians. Really? Did he learn that when he got there? Yep. Wow. He was first called to to the German-speaking people. Yes. And then he learned Portugal. That's where he met my grandmother. So he had to know some uh, Portuguese as well. Yes, that's really interesting. And when I was in Novosibirsk, uh, that's Siberia, for a few weeks teaching law and gospel, I was not that fluent in Russian. I did learn certain statements like, uh, yes, I would like to eat. You know, the important <laughs> things. But I had a Russian interpreter, and she was always with me. And so I was speaking English, and she was speaking Russian. And, and sometimes I wondered, because I would say maybe five, six words, and she'd go on with about 30 words. <laughs> I wasn't sure, is she properly translating? But fortunately, there was another student there who knew English, and she he told me that, no, she's doing a good job. So All I didn't right. have to worry about it. So we we talk about that it's in the language of the people we bring the good news of the, of that but, but I think too that there's a second part to Pentecost that, that we need to discuss. Go ahead. Baptism. Yes. Uh, 
it is a time because he, when he talks to them and he cuts to their hearts about the sins that, that we put Jesus on the cross, he tells them to be baptized and believe. In baptism, we receive that Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. Yes, and remember, when they realize that they've killed the Messiah, they ask, what shall we do? Then Peter, in Acts 2, at the end of the chapter, tells them something they can't do. He says you need to be baptized. It's a passive. It's not something that they actively do. It's something that God's going to do to them. And that's why we baptize infants, because not even adults can do baptism on themselves it's god working through the word as he said remember luther it's simple water only but what makes it so powerful is that word that's connected to it that's right and those are promises yeah so in a pentecostal church if they ask you some of them how do you know you're saved i can speak in tongues in a lutheran church if you're asked how do i know you're saved you say, I yeah, am baptized. Is. Yep. And I think that's very significant for us as we remember Pentecost, that it's the renewal of our baptismal vows and the renewal of, of daily repentance that uh, I'm saved in, in, in uh, Christ our Lord. Yes, liturgy is really important. Some things are just adiaphora. You can do them or not do them. But I began a new process that I learned from Pastor Whedon, listening Mm. to him on ascension, is that I had lady come up and they moved the cross, uh, or in one case it was a paschal candle, which is always right beside the altar, and they moved it over to the baptismal font as a way of expressing to them that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave earth. He just is now found invisibly through the waters of baptism. Baptism, yeah. And I think that's that's very significant to, to, to remind us that Christ is always with us and never far from us. And that's why Pentecost is not just the coming of the Holy Spirit, but a reminder of our baptism. When you preached a Pentecost sermon, did you ever have the opportunity to actually do a baptism on that day? I did not. I don't think I ever did. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember when I was at uh, the congregation for 28 years, we would baptize 15 to 20 children a year. And I never had one particularly on Pentecost. But um, that was kind of interesting. I know that uh, when I was up at Havana, I had a baptism of about eight or nine from a family all at once. And it's, I believe, April 27th, they celebrate their baptism. Yes. In our Sunday school, I was telling the Sunday school teachers, you not only give a gift on their birthday, the Sunday school kids, but you give a gift to a, a bigger gift on their rebirthday. Mm. And so I also had that in the newsletter. Um, The members of the congregation during a certain month, there was two columns. One is their birthday. Now, we never put down the year, just the month and the day. And the other one was their rebirthday, their baptism date. 
And I was trying to really make the point how important that is. I kind of learned that from uh, Wallace Schultz, who puts his baptismal form, he actually uh, puts it in a frame and hangs it on the wall. And so from that time on, when I heard him say that, I've always given baptism forms in a frame. And then I also give them one in paper in case they ever have to use it for legal purposes. And I see families at churches where they give them baptismal banners with the date on it. Yes. And they hang them in the, in the child's room for many years. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Well, I appreciate your taking a look at what the original Pentecost meant. Next week, we'll probably be looking at the original Trinity. That's oh, cool. yeah, Trinity Sunday coming up, too. Boy. And then we start doing just the Sundays of Pentecost after. But, boy, right. we've been pretty busy since Lent and the Easter season, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter, then Ascension, now Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. Great time to worship. It really is. Thank you very much, Wes Reimnitz. Looking forward to next week. I'm Tom Baker. And tune in tomorrow for our Law and Gospel Open Mic. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.